Hey, how are you? Carm Capriato here. Are you ready to sell your business? Do you know how to prepare? Is it a buyer's market or a seller's market? Do you understand some of the financial principles that drive a transaction? Well, answers to these questions are coming up. The small business owner is probably in the best shape to retire, sell his business as it's ever been. Ask that all the, not necessarily young in age, but young in ownership owners out there, forgo your boat, forgo your second house, forgo your dream car, save up, and if you don't own the land, buy your land. I I would say if you're feeling burnt out, you're probably hurting the business because you're not as active and uh, you're probably not giving uh, all your people the attention they need. I would say you really need to consider maybe selling the business, stepping away and let somebody else give it the energy it needs. Welcome automotive aftermarketers to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Yo, Carm Capriato here, the Automotive Aftermarket Podcast Guy, and glad to welcome you to a very important Town Hall Academy, you know, as a summit for the forever aftermarket student, and we're talking selling your business. I want to honor Jasper Engines and Transmissions for their longevity. You know, at Jasper Engines and Transmissions, quality and customer service is always their number one goal. Their associates take pride in their work, and it shows in the quality drivetrain products they produce. Their quality and customer service has kept them growing for 76 years. I've always told you to share the podcast with a colleague of yours in the industry. Now, no matter what level you are in your business life, the podcast is a treasure of information that you can use as your own personal networking resource. And thanks for sharing. Hey, if you're not listening mobile, you need to find a podcast listening app on your app store and then subscribe to the Remarkable Results Radio podcast and have every episode right at your fingertips. Hey, you can find the talking points in my guest's bios at remarkableresults.biz slash A128. Hey, now an episode you may listen to again as you absorb the wisdom and ideas brought forth as we talk about valuing and positioning your business for sale. With me is three principals of Cardinal Brokers, Norm Gaither, Dennis McCarran, and Joel Zaleski, and also a former five-store shop owner, Jeff Pullman, who recently sold his business. We cover a large swatch of ground as we talk about the incredible opportunity for consolidators to buy, getting your financials right, processes, leases, and the all-important EBITDA number. I know one thing, about 50% of you will be impacted by this discussion in the near future. We've got a very interesting topic today, uh, something that uh, I would have to say is on the top of mind of probably 50% of every shop owner in America. Let me introduce our panel, Dennis McCarran from Cardinal Brokers and uh, principal of Cardinal Brokers. In in fact, uh, we've got uh, three people on here from Cardinal Brokers, Norm Gaither. Hi, Norm. Hello, Carm. Nice to have you here. Um, nice. You know, Norm, I, I believe you have written uh, extensively over the years. Uh, in didn't, didn't you write, write for Aftermarket Magazine? I have, yes. I was a big fan of yours back when my hair was not this color. 
Thank you so much. Uh, a legacy of our industry. And Joel Zaleski is here, also from Cardinal Brokers. And to be as fully and transparent as we possibly can, we also have Jeff Pullman, who recently sold his business. And uh, what's so interesting, so that you all know, is he sold it to Monroe. And back in the day when he did that, if maybe six months ago, Joel helped part of the, do, do part of that transaction. So there's there's a, it's some scar tissue connection here. I'm not quite sure <laughs> how it all works. But but there is, so if, if it sounds like, well, Joe said this and Jeff did that, you'll, you'll kind of all now get an idea sure. of, of how it works. So here's what we're ta- here to talk about. How do I value my business? Oh my God, look at this, my three-bay garage. I'm doing a million dollars. Somebody's going to walk in someday and pay me a million dollars for my business. And, you know, we have to talk those people off the, the ledge when it comes to that. And, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about that today. Also, the industry is consolidating like no tomorrow. Uh, the really big shops are looking to buy regional chains. As in the case of yours, Jeff, you had a five-location operation, a great successful place, um, Jeff Pullman Tire, uh, five locations. And, and and the opportunity is is huge among us. But one of the things that I believe is a problem in our industry is... When that individual who wants to sell sits down with a buyer and the buyer wants to know all this great stuff and wants to see a profit and loss statement, but the owner says, you really, you know, there's some stuff in that financial statement that isn't necessarily perfect. And the buyer says, well, um, if you're ready to sell, why didn't you make it perfect? Why didn't you normalize it and make it right? And so I think those are some you know, V8 moments that we're here to share and and to get our industry thinking about that level of preparation. So, Norm, I want to go to you first. And I want to, you know, you've been around the industry forever. And I'm not meaning that as a knock that, you know, you're an old wise owl, but you are. And you've seen so much going on. Have you seen the consolidation opportunity as big as it's ever been uh, in the past, like it is now? I've been doing this about 35 years and um, I will tell you that the small business owner is probably in the best shape to retire, sell his business as it's ever been. The, the number of people looking to acquire um, businesses now has been um, fantastic. It, it's never been as great. And the, the prices that um, because there are so many uh, the competition to drive the price up has been phenomenal. The um, cost of money for them has been so low that it's just it's just been a great time the last I would say the last three years. Prior to that, it was in some cases half half the offer. So right now is a great time to sell a, a business. It really is. So it's a seller's market. It, it definitely is. But that still doesn't mean that I can't, as a as a seller, I have to do my homework. I've got to make things right so that the buyer can make a quick and easy decision. It's incumbent upon them to talk to someone, I would say, at least two years before they want to sell so that people can help them get their house in order, so to speak, so they can get the best possible price. You know, that is, uh, I think everyone should take heed of that notice, that two-year number. I, 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 you know, we, we all say, when should I start worrying or when should I start caring or when should I start fixing and when do I start making things right? When do I start running a better business? And I don't know really what I mean by that. But, but you know, th- there's, a, there's a lot of things that an owner can do 
to to make it right now jeff you recently sold in november did you was that something that you were working on or did it just like happen instantly overnight well no it's not something i was working on um i had a secession plan going with my son who was our general manager and i just assumed that's how things were going to happen i would eventually leave everything to, or sell to my son but i had an inquiry from someone from the from Monroe and really didn't follow up on it right away, waited a few weeks because I didn't have an interest at the time, but finally called him back, talked to him and things just start snowballing from there. The two trains of thoughts that I would like to share. I know another multi-shop owner who's actually going to set up his son and daughter in their own shop, even though he's not ready to sell anticipating the fact that a deal like what you just did came through and they now have plenty of time under their belt to have their own place and then they could turn around someday and do the same thing he just did interesting concept or thought joel you were involved in that transaction were you the one who may have approached jeffrey yeah and um myself and and one of our colleagues is a five-store operation much more attractive to a company from your previous company or would companies and and this is a question to everyone is is a company um like monroe or any other consolidator that you guys would see uh is is a one-store operation as attractive as a five or will, will 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 a big consolidator buy one really great going place yeah i mean the certainly um you know the large strategic buyers the consolidators out there are are looking to buy, you know, buy up market share. So for them to go into a market, whether existing or new, you know, they, they want to go in with, um, you know, larger deals, you know, platform deals or establish a footprint. So, you know, in, in Jeff's case, um, you know, going in um, to an area or expanding in an area with five stores at a time, you know, you can do that with one deal um, right away, as opposed right. to buying five individual stores. Um, you know, and so, that, you know, from a buyer's perspective, they get to leverage all those synergies immediately with five stores Got it. Um, versus, you know, drawing it out over time um, with five individual sellers. I mean, just you, you can imagine just the administrative, um, you know, burden from a buyer's perspective of having to go through this process five separate times as opposed to, you know, just with one seller who owns five stores. Got it. Dennis, Norm, you agree with that? For sure. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's much more efficient for a, a, a larger um, company to come in and, and take over more at once as opposed to stretching it out uh, over time. If, if you look at it from a marketing and advertising and training and education perspective from the, the company, if they can do things uh, in a tighter schedule, it just reduces their overhead cost, which is why when um, bigger companies buy multiple stores, the EBITDA, the, the amount, the multiplier that they apply is, is usually higher than in a single store. Got it. And we're going to talk about that, by the way. So uh, if anyone hears an acronym that they're not familiar with, like EBITDA, we, we are going to chat about that in a few minutes because I think it's key and critical to our discussion. Um, Norm, let, let me, I'm not going to ask you to comment on what Joel and Dennis just said, but I want to move in a, in a slightly different direction. There are shop owners that are ready for their second store. 
and then there are a lot of two shop owners ready for their third. Is 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 this something that you guys also do, or are you just looking for the really big deal? As, as a company, we like to focus on larger deals. It makes it easier for us as well. But um, we we have in the past consolidated um, companies just uh, because that's what the regional buyers are looking for. And I would tell you that um, from a, a seller's perspective, uh, it behooves them to, if they're a single store operator, if they have the people in place, and and this is a very sensitive topic. Um, oftentimes, everybody wants to be very large in their market, and they think going from one store to two stores, they can double their profit. <laughs> and in my experience, quite the opposite usually happens. Um, they get fragmented. They don't have the people to run the second store. Um, they end up actually taking their eye off the ball on the first store just to fix the second store. And they end up making less money out of two stores than they did in two. So it, you hear it over and over again. It's all about good people. And I, I can't stress that enough that if you're going to expand, it's a great idea, but make sure that the administrative side and the people side in the second store are there to help you do that. A couple of things come to mind. We've done uh, podcasts. We've done town hall academies on acquisitions and modes. Um, I, I hear the story about number two hit me upside brick wall head. Boom. And and then we had to stop and we had to regroup. And then when we went to three, it was a little easier. And, and so there are uh, groups out there, mastermind groups, in fact, Transformers Masterminds, that typically works with just multi-store owners and, and gets them all on the same page and, and helps them grow. So I guess what I'm starting to hear is that you guys like to do big deals, that some of the bigger multi-store operators are going to be attractive to major regional or national consolidators, right, Norm? That's correct. And, um, you know, we certainly don't skip over a person with one store. Um, it's just harder to uh, find a, a qualified buyer to, uh, to handle one store than it is uh, multiple stores. So scenario, because um, I love scenarios because I'm an ideas guy. Here is a, here, here's an idea. There's five really good operator, big, single, you know, seven or eight bay operations in multiple uh, surrounding communities in a in a city, um, they're all individual. Now I get, I hear what you're saying. Who wants to do five individual transactions? We'd love to do one, but would a consolidator be ever interested in making that? You know, buying up those five is is who was it saying? Joel was about market share. Would that ever possibly be a transaction? Five individuals that one one person buys all at once. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, I, and you know, we're starting to see some of that. Um, I think what you see from an industry perspective is that a lot of the um, much larger operators, I'll call them ten store plus, have been consolidated over the years. Um, you know, certainly folks like myself, when I was on the other, you know, on the other side, we're, we're doing that for many years. Um, and so, what you're left with is still an industry that's very fragmented, and so you have these buyers out there that need to continue acquiring and, you know, kind of what's left are the smaller operators. So whether it be single store, two store, three store, um, there's still a lot of opportunity to consolidate. So, you know, buyers are being more creative in, 
in that scenario that you talked about is, is an example of, of one path to do that. I'm with Ron Haugen of Westside Auto Pros. Hey, Ron, why purchase a Jasper engine for your customer's car? Uh, the, the main reason we use Jasper is, is they're known for quality and we're known for quality. They line up with my company and my, and my company's commitment to our customers uh, you know, as a product. They're committed to me. Hey, Ron, are customers investing in their vehicle today? Absolutely. You, you know, we, we see the surveys from, from AAA and, and, and all the different people out there where the average age of a car on the road is 11 years old. Some are even saying 12 now. Uh, when you think about that, for every new car sold, that means there's a 22-year-old car being driven on a daily basis. To me, that's amazing. Uh, the only way we get an average age of a vehicle on the road like that is because people are reinvesting in a car. And I think the reason they're reinvesting in a car is is the cost of a car. I mean, cars are thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. You know, why not drop four, five, six, eight thousand dollars into repowering the vehicle and get it back on the road? Hey, Ron, thanks for your insights on Jasper. Thanks for asking. I, I love the setup. Thank you very much. I think I think this last say ten minutes has helped us think about what we're going to talk about here and it maybe got some people starting to think about changing their future plans or visions uh, about their business. Let's go into some math guys. Cause you know, you guys can't be in business unless you understood the financial statement and the big number, the EBITDA and somebody mentioned the word multiplier. What the heck is a multiplier? So who wants to take a stab and teach us something about uh, the accounting side of a transaction? Well, Joel, being a CPA, maybe we're going to let him do that. Sure. Joel, you're a CPA, too. I didn't know that. Well, great. Yeah. Well, then, yes, you would be the guy. Although in these situations, I, I tend not to admit that. But, yes, I am by, by training a CPA. Okay. So, um, so EBITDA is it's, um, it's standard industry talk amongst multiple industries. Um, but EBITDA, by its definition, is earnings. Um, think of it as net income. Um, or operating profit, um, plus adding back items such as, um, or, or before, um, taxes, interest, depreciation, and amortization. So if you take your net income number and add back those, um, those line items that I just referenced, um, that gets you an EBITDA number. And so it's also referred to or commonly referred to as um, let's say free cash flow. Um, so it's the true um, earnings um, that the business itself is putting off. And what that is commonly looked at or, or most often looked at as the primary measure for establishing um, what the value of your business is with the multiplier factor incorporated into that. And so a multiplier is, Joel, say, for example, the EBITDA of a business is $100,000, yep. and the, the buyer would take a look at that uh, and and give you and pay a multiple of it. That's correct. And so, That's say, correct. for example, somebody would said, well, is it, uh, let me ask a question, is it by industry, or is it just uh, what the, the buyer, how do you come up with a multiplier? I guess that's my question. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look across different industries, certainly there are different multiples. Um, you know, you, you go from some industries, um, IT is a good example where businesses, you know, really produce very little income, but they're getting paid these huge amounts of money in a purchase. Um, in 
in the service entire industry, you know, an established industry, um, you know, that multiple is, is very well, fairly well known by, you know, um, all the buyers out there and, and many of the sellers at least have ref- heard about the different multiple ranges that, that exist out there today. And give me, <laughs> uh, go ahead, tell us. Yeah. So, I mean, on a, on a single store, um, just as a starting point, we've often referred or we've often looked at a three to five multiple as a starting point. Um, as you know, as the number of store locations go up that we talked about earlier and the willingness for buyers um, and the eagerness for buyers to, to purchase those businesses, those multiples will in fact go up. So, um, you know, three to five kind of starting at the low end all the way up to, um, you know, seven, eight, nine, you know, 10 plus just depending on how big the business is and, and certainly how eager that buyer is to have those stores. So let me uh, say that that's the offer for the business that includes the assets. That includes an ass that includes the assets, um, including typically a minimum inventory value as well. Right. And, and I think that's important for people to know uh, the many owners will sit in their business and they'll, well, I, my, 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 uh, my alignment machine is worth, you know, 20000 and my tire machine is worth this. And they're trying to put all this number and I make X amount of and they come up with a number. And in the real world, as you will, of CPAs and or buying and selling, even if a buyer, a single store buyer comes up and wants to buy uh, the guy in the next town, uh, he's still going to go to his accountant. And the accountant is going to m- m- massage, manage the numbers, look at the P&L. And, uh, but, but I guess what we have to be concerned about in our industry is that the typical CPA, Joel, may not necessarily know how to evaluate an automotive business. Is that true? Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely the case. Um, you know, I think there is some uniqueness to our industry. Um, you, you, you know, you referenced, um, you know, a, a seller looking at all the assets and trying to come up with a number that way. But in our industry, that's really not, you know, I, I've yet to see a, a a deal valuation be established that way. So you, you can't really expect to get enough in an asset sale anyway. Correct. That, that's absolutely right. And that's why buyers will, you know, look at it. Um, their, their first starting point is always EBITDA. Always. And let me give you an example, Carm. Um, I got a phone call two days ago um, from a, a lady that wanted to sell one tire store rather large, doing about $3 million in sales. And uh, an employee made an offer that uh, he was interested in buying. So the employee went to a CPA and the CPA did a value, came back at, uh, thought the company was worth $287,000. The owner thought that was way too low. So she went to her own CPA and he came back with a value of $2.3 $2.3 million. <laughs> now, neither one of them based it on EBITDA. And so the purpose for bringing this up is that people out there need to be very careful. Many times CPAs think they are business valuation experts. And unless they really go through the exercise of using the EBITDA method, I would tell you most likely they're not going to arrive at the right price for, for that business. 
Norm, did you have a chance to look at it and did you come up with a number? Uh, I did. And the number's closer to probably about a million dollars. Okay. And that's, that's really what the market will pay. And so um, you, you really have to have all your facts together before you try to go to the market. And obviously that's what we do. And I would tell everybody to use brokers that are um, licensed and certified to, to do this kind of work. That's a great point, Cardinal Brokers. We'll make sure that your um, your your website's in the show page. Appreciate that. Um, so interesting. So it, it lends itself to, uh, I love the idea of selling internally. And and I we we've seen a lot of transactions. Talked to a lot of people that have done that. That are that have you know a five year plan to get their number one person involved and work with SBA and and, and work on on down payments and stuff. Can you guys help us with some of that? Uh, uh, and 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 were you thinking, Jeff? When yeah, I'm sorry, I, I'm going all in seven different directions, but that's sometimes you know I'm a squirrel. There's a nut. And, and Jeff, when you were looking at your son to take over, were you structuring a deal, something like that? Well, we hadn't gotten to that point. Okay. Uh, so we, we hadn't put a value on anything. It was just, I just assumed eventually when we got to the point, I felt like turning it over to him, we would work out some kind of internal financing, but uh, really hadn't set anything in stone. What is your son doing now? Well, I was very fortunate, and that's uh, one uh, factor that helped me decide to go ahead with the sale. Is I had a brother who had a similar operation, and on the other side of our town, and he was looking to retire, and he had no heirs to leave the business to, or no one interested in it. So my son ended up purchasing his shop, and that enabled me to go ahead and complete the transaction with Monroe. Wow, it had, to, it had to be so good for your heart to have it see that happen. Oh, it's great. I, uh, you. <clears throat> I would tell you, Carm, um, when you sell to family, uh, that it's a different structure altogether. There's there's a lot of extra dynamics. Um, typically, the the sale will be off the books, and and there's a lot of uh, longer term payouts to the parents as the son or daughter takes over the business when it's done with employees. Uh, it's usually out of some kind of indebtedness that the, empl- the employees have gotten them where they are today. Uh, and there are things like the SBA can help a little bit. You can try and form what's called an ESOP or a co-op um, to help with funding. The, the two, two main issues for an owner selling to employees, not that they shouldn't do it, but two things that they need to consider if they're thinking about it. Number one is the, the amount of money you'll probably have to self-finance. It's highly unlikely your store manager is going to come up with enough money through traditional banking to be able to finance the deal. So you're going to have to retain the risk of the business's success or failure as you sell out. So your pay uh, amount of money you're going to get is going to be drawn out further. Uh, and then the the second piece of that is is if if they fail, uh, if it, if they they don't make the company successful and and they lose enough money and have to go through bankruptcy, you're stuck holding the bag and you're you thought you were retired and you're right back in the business. When you end up selling to a, let's say another regional player, you know two towns over, or you sell to a, a large uh, national player, 
the, the, those risks are gone. Uh, and also your, the amount of money you'll be able to sell the business for is higher. If, if you're going to sell to employee, you're, you're probably not going to get four to five times EBITDA. You, you'll probably get two and a half to three um, just because of the, the sheer dollar amount of the transaction. You know, I've heard, I've heard some stories about that where they've they've done an internal deal with with their manager. The manager uh, starts earning their down payment out of yearly bonuses. Uh, some have, you know, in five years they have enough for the SBA as a down. Some takes, you know, five years to happen. But then the owner gets all their money. And part of the requirement of the the program is that they have to they have to have a business coach. They've got to get certain schooling because they're looking to insure that long term. If the owner decided to carry some money, he wanted to insure his the success of the business. But on the way up and through, before the transaction happens, they start you know joining twenty groups, getting getting coaching, and all of that, if you will. Uh, entrepreneurial, no, businessman insurance, if you will, by, yeah, right. by, by that, that level of ed- education. Businessman insurance, I like that. That's a great, that's a great concept. <laughs> that is to put this person out and finally educate them that they're no longer a technician or a service writer, they're now a business owner. Uh, thank you for that. I, I love all this great dialogue, but Jeff, I wanted to ask you, are you having any fun now? Are you retired, relaxed? Tell me, where, where where's your state of mind? <laughs> It's very nice being able to get up when I want to in the morning, doing what I want to do, <laughs> not having to stress. Um, it's, uh, we were just talking about the, that this morning. I ran into a neighbor while I was out uh, running, and uh, he said, it must be nice just to get up and do what you want. I said, it's, it's, it's fantastic. So, yes, I'm enjoying it very much. Good for you. Hey, team, let's talk about normalizing the P&L, getting it right. And, you know, someone had mentioned we need, a, we need two years to, to make it work. So I'm going to open up the forum to you guys. Who wants to start? How do we do this? I, I would say first thing is cash sales. <laughs> That's, we've seen that come up a lot. <laughs> when, when you say cash sales, you're talking about no one holds paper? Oh, 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 record them. Ah, okay. Yeah, hello. So that's, that's absolutely critical. Um, a lot of guys look at that sometimes as, you know, extra spend money. But um, if you think about it, for, for every dollar that you put in the business from a cash sale, that goes literally to the bottom line. And that's worth three to five times if you own a single store. And it's worth a lot more if you own multiple stores. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, factory rebates, cash sales, those sorts of things uh, need to stay in the business. And typically it flows as part of profits and gets you a bigger payout when you're ready to step down. Mm-hmm. You know, as a side note, a single store, I can see how that's done. And then you have a second store and you're saying, hmm, can't do it as much. And the third store is, hmm, I don't want to teach my people how to do this. And, you know, so so it's almost like the bigger you get, the more legitimizes all those sales. Am I right, guys? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. But but Dennis, thank you for saying that. I mean, you literally said, guys, if you're going to prepare, legitimize everything. And in fact, how about the, the gas for the boat and the, and the rent for the slip out at the lake in the summer home? Should I take that off my P&L too? There's a, so every, every business owner has what's, what would be considered a perk right? The, the business pays for some aspect of their lifestyle, a country club, 
membership, uh, you know, some travel to different uh, places. And, and it, the, there are legitimate reasons to have those types of expenses run through with the business. Um, part of the calculation of EBITDA also includes some types of those owner perks. Um, you know, if you, if you travel to go to a, a 20 group meeting, uh, that, that's an owner perk that's going to get added back into the value. Uh, a, a country club for networking purposes, you probably could legitimately add that back in. Grocery bills and diapers and formula, uh, probably not going to get added back in. Um, e- even though the owner may think it's, you know, the, sometimes they run a, a daycare center, it's probably not going to uh, legitimately get added back in. So there's a there's a, a part of our process and, and some of the value that we bring to the equation is that we help the owner sit down and go line by line over all of those things and figure out which of these things are going to add value to their business and which of these things did you, you know, have you enjoyed the perk and now need to cease, cease doing. I have to stop for a moment and ask the next tough question about that. You say that we'll normalize it in the EBITDA calculation, and I get that. So I can continue to do all that stuff. And then when it comes to sell, then I'm going to make sure I get a really good broker or an accountant to tell the buyer, by the way, all this, all this dark stuff is in there. Or are you suggesting that we start normalizing and cleaning it up now so that I don't have to play that game? Cleaning it up is a better term. You, you said all that stuff. And it, it depends on what all that stuff is. Some of it you can legitimately keep doing because it provides some benefit to you as the owner in running the business uh, okay. yeah. that, that a new owner is not going to require. So you can add that to the value. It, I, went, it, I went to a 20-group meeting in Orlando, took the family. It, we called it a vacation, but it, the business paid for it. Is that going to be a line-item transaction, Joel, that the buyer is going to look at every scrutinized expense? and? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, those type of items would typically um, be added back. Um, We'd be added back to the overall earnings of the business. So travel for yourself and your family. Um, You know, another common one and very simple is um, cell phones. So, you know, specifically owner cell phones, we often find where it's not just the owner's cell phone, it's the owner's spouse, it's the, it's the three kids and it's the eight grandkids. And so before you know it, it's, you know, it's $10,000 of cell phone bills for the year. Um, you know, I think what's important from a, from a seller's perspective is that they just keep tabs on those numbers. And so when we, when you get to a position where you sit down with someone like us, that you can explain and, you know, you can support yeah. those, those numbers. I think, I think that's the most important thing is being able to support um, those, what they call owner related expenses, because again, when the owner sells the business, um, you know, those salaries will go away. And so those are legitimate add back um, to the overall earnings of, of the business. And, and quite frankly, um, most buyers will give credit for that as well. And they, they recognize and understand that. So as a seller, um, I need just to be prepared to know all that information and bring it either to my broker or to the buyer and say, by the way, look at this report. There's some stuff you're not going to, it's not going to happen at your end. So we're adding that back. 
Absolutely. Yep. That's absolutely said correctly. Don't stop what you're doing, but prepare to bring it to the table. Yeah. I mean, I would say now, now I think to, to address Dennis's point, I mean, there is a point where it can be excessive. Um, and I think that's where, where Dennis was going. I mean, there are legitimate owner related expenses. All owners have a cell phone and it's legitimate to um, have the business pay for that cell phone. Um, you know, then that's one extreme that's perfectly understandable. Then there are, um, as, as Dennis would say, that the, the diapers and formula where it's, it becomes more excessive. And, and, you know, you do get to a point where if the business is only putting off, you know, let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars. And when you add back all of the adjustments, it's now 500,000. It's wow. That's, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big difference. And, you know, we're, we're not sure we're going to give you credit for all of that. Now it's going to be scrutinized even heavier. I mean, that's they're, right. They're, Absolutely. They're going to they're gonna need three weeks to go line by line. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And I wanted to that's sell right. this thing tomorrow, and now I have to wait. Uh, that's right. <laughs> I got it. Okay. <laughs> you, right. you, 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 Norm, you've seen a lot of that kind of stuff? Sometimes excessive, as, as Joel said. Um, most of the time, most guys are pretty prudent about, you know, what they take out, um, and and that's good for for everybody. And I would say another item like life insurance, which is critical to the business. Um, God forbid something happened to the owner. You, you want to make sure you're taking care of the spouse. But uh, that would be a legitimate add back to the earnings because obviously the the buyer would not expect to have a, a manager come in and give him a life insurance policy. So. Generally, most guys are fairly prudent. Every once in a while, you run into a guy that goes from 100000 to, as Joel said, maybe upwards to five. But that's, that's rare and that's excessive. So, Let's talk about uh, the center of the wheel, the owner, who uh, has done a terrible job of delegating and uh, you know, st- staying completely engaged in his business. I look to buy this business and realize that if... Joe left the business crashes into a black hole without him and 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 I want to bring my people in uh but he seems to be the face of the business he seems to be the business and since I'm not buying him I may have a huge risk of you know keeping the business going is there any advice in that area I mean, I think buyers look for, I, th- I think you said it perfectly because that is a scenario that, uh, that we see sometimes and, and it becomes a real concern from a buyer's perspective. Um, you know, our advice and, and I think from a buyer's perspective, you know, they, they like to see process and procedures. You know, they like to know that if the owner decides to take a long weekend, that the business doesn't fall apart when they're gone. Um, you know, certainly you can understand if you're, if you're, you know, running one or two, um, you know, stores that you may not have a full, you know, you know, standard operating procedure for everything that happens in the store, but they want to know that there's, there's a general process and there are general procedures in place. So it prevents that, that type of situation where, you know, the, 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 owner slash, you know, manager doesn't come along with the business sale. And, you know, there's risk from a buyer perspective that, um, you know, that face of the company is no longer there. And so that, you know, that big check that they just cut is, um, you know, almost overnight, you know, um, much less from, from an investment perspective. Yeah. Carm, you, uh, 
you brought up a point earlier about the difficulties of going from one to two to three stores. And Norm talked about having the right people in place. And Joel is hitting on having a system in place. It, it, you can't be owner centric. Uh, it, it, cause you, you live and die by the, by the hero syndrome. Uh, the store needs to be able to function almost irrelevant of, of who's in it, the, the, the steps and procedures of it. So the, the more evidence you have of that when you're presenting the business to a buyer, the more comfortable they are in paying a premium, which is why a multi one of the reasons a multi-store operation is going to carry a higher multiplier than a, a single or two store operation. Cause like mm-hmm. Joel just said, it's, it's a higher risk because you may end up with a, a database <laughs> and, a, and a POS system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to be a well oiled running machine. I've always said, I don't know where I ever came up with this quote that processes and systems win wars. And, and and everybody's shaking their head. They they get it. They know what I mean. And and that is so critical that even if a new if a buyer comes in and implements their system, at least the group knows what living inside of processes and systems is about. And we're not having to, you know, uh, t- teach on someone for the first time. This is how we do things. And these are the scenarios if this situation happens. And to his credit, Jeff had a, a well-oiled machine. His company, um, he could take a month off, and his company would, would not miss a beat. So I tip my hat to him for doing that. Thank you. Good, good, good. Hey, we got a question here from in the chat, in the chat room from uh, my friend Kevin Eckler. He says, are you looking more at general repair or more specialty shop groups for acquisition? Now, he says we're about to expand to two locations and are deciding if one will be specialty with the other being general, but are two specialty shops worth more? Like, for example, Euro or Asian. I mean, I mean, I can take this one. I mean, you know, at least from the, the buyers that we that we deal with and, and the, the kind of the largest names you can think of out there in our space, I mean, general repair tends to be um, where they want to be. I mean, it, it's harder to maintain whatever that kind of specialty, um, you know, niche that they're operating in. Um, so oh, 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 wait a minute, a larger consolidator, it would be harder to maintain the niche. That's right. I got it. I got it. That's right. Okay. And so general repair that they, so they can fit them into their, I'll call it cookie cutter, mm-hmm. you know, operating model. Um, it, that, that tends to, to be more valuable from a buyer's perspective. I, I would say that it, if you're running several uh, specialty shops, um, there are going to be um, folks in that specific arena that would acquire and probably pay a higher price. Um, but there are fewer and fewer mm-hmm. of those uh, guys out there, to Joel's point. I, I think if you're a um, for instance, a, t- a tire shop as Jeff was, and he was uh, heavy into repair, there's a, a bigger market for that than there might be for a guy that's a wheel specialist, so Got to it. speak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, repair repair is it today. I mean, I, I don't know, Joel, is, is that what you see? It, it's great to have yeah. the tires, but you got to have the repair, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly you're generating, you know, the majority of your, your mar- I mean, you're operating at a much higher margin with with a higher mix of repair. I and mean, I think that's generally known, um, you know, but it's, um, 
you know, having a mix of um, tire sales is is good too, because there's, it's always everything that goes along with it, you know, so it's not just uh, selling the tire, it's the alignment, it's the, um, it's the other, you know, tag along service work that also goes along with it too. So they do, they do play well off each other for sure. Let's do a scenario. Kevin Eckler decides to open his second store as a Euro store. And he basically said in the chat room, Hey, for us, Euro is much more profitable. BMWs, Volvos, et cetera, et cetera. It's a more profitable business model. So he does a second location and he makes it Euro. And then he does a third and he makes it Euro. Would he be attractive to maybe a regional consolidator because of the profitability of his model? I would say uh, probably uh, more local um, buyers okay. would look at that far more attractively than than somebody, let's say, two or three states away, uh, just because uh, in, in that market, uh, there's a specialty of Euro uh, vehicles being worked on, and clearly they do make make a higher uh, profit on on those specialty uh, repairs let's say than than a typical guy like Jeff in a tire store so i i think they're in a great spot and i think they make a lot of money but uh, when it comes time to sell it's it's a little harder to find a buyer for those specialty shops than it is for a general shop let's say i got it but i also think it's one hell of an attractive business model versus the big national consultant no because sure. there's no doubt i no may question. not trust the guy with the 1500 stores to my to my euro car but right. i will sure. trust a kevin eckler and so that's good advice for you kevin interesting and he also asked another question gentlemen for the panel is a business with a long-term lease is it less valuable than an owner-occupied I look at it temp- typically as as a lever, right? It, and it's a lever that adjusts the the overall purchase price, um, whether it's owner occupied or it's a long term lease with a third party. I don't, um, I don't think that there's a lot of um, you know determination in the overall valuation of the business. If if I if that makes sense. Okay. Um, you know what once once that owner sells their business they just become a normal landlord like anybody else i mean yeah you know unfortunately um you know that's just kind of the way it is and you'll be treated in your relationship with that buyer will become that of a landlord and lessee so um you know it, it doesn't really impact the overall um you know valuation now i will say this as a as a as an owner occupied um where you have the business um, that where you own the business and you own the lease, um, the interesting dynamic there is there that the lever becomes all right. How much purchase price do you want to get up front from selling the business versus what do you want from a long term lease or, or or rent? So there's some there's some back and forth negotiation that you can do there. Do you want to have it? all up front now, or would you rather have a steadier or a higher rental stream in the future? Um, so again, it's just a lever that um, an owner um, you know, has when they're going into those discussions with the buyer. I would, I would uh, ask that all the, not necessarily young in age, but young in ownership owners out there, forgo your boat, forgo your second house, forgo your dream car, save up and if you don't own the land, buy your land. Mm-hmm. If you, yeah. if you ever get the opportunity, because that becomes a really nice revenue stream when you go to retire 
Um, and not all owners are going to set themselves up business-wise to contribute to uh, Social Security and, and uh, government-funded retirement plans. So it, it's important that they have some kind of residual income. Um, you're not always going to get the opportunity to buy. It depends on the, you know, the landlord and, and your arrangement. But if you, if you get the opportunity, people out there, try and position yourself so you at least have a chance at doing it. Mm-hmm. To, to that point, I, I can't tell you over the years that I've been doing this, the quote I've heard most often is I've made far more money off of real estate than I ever, ever have off selling my business. So it's a good point, Dennis. Great point, Dennis. Thank you. Now, guys, before we before we leave, um, I really want to go around the room. And if there's anything we haven't covered or that you would love uh, to share with uh, all of our listeners, uh, we would sure love to uh, to hear it from you. We'll uh, start with you, Joel, and then we'll go around the room. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this is, you said it correctly earlier, that this really is a, you know, it's a seller's market right now. Interest rates remain low. So as Norm said, um, you know, buyers are borrowing um, money relatively cheaply. And, um, you know, they're still favorable, um, you know, overall tax tax structures out there, um, you know, with the current administration. And so this is a really good time if someone's thinking about, you know, uh, uh, an owner is thinking about it, whether it be, you know, two years from now or even five years from now, it's, it's a good time to start, um, you know, maybe engaging in those conversations with, you know, um, folks similar to us or your accountant or, or maybe even your attorney just to make sure that, um, you know, you're planning accordingly. Um, and thinking about and making the right business decisions today to set you up for success um, when you do get to that point in in really selling your business. So, thanks, Joel. Appreciate you being here, uh, Jeff. Uh, from your perspective as as the uh, recent seller, any final words? Well, this is not a promotion for Norm and his group, but I would I would urge every, anyone interested in selling their business to get a broker who specializes in our industry or familiar with our industry. They're going to be able to better value your business and also have more connections that's going to lead to an eventual sale. So Norm did a great job for me and I'm sure I'm seeing uh, more value in the outcome with the, the leases that we work, we brokered and the Oh, just the amount of the deal itself that more than offset the costs. Any regrets? No regrets whatsoever. You do it again, huh? Love to do it again. <laughs> Get that paycheck again. <laughs> yes, right. Oh, yeah. Times two. Yes. Uh, Norm, your final words. Uh, I, I would say that um, to anybody considering to sell, take time to... Uh, clean up your business, um, get everything straight, minimize uh, all the excessive benefits that you're taking out and build up your bottom line because that's what's going to build up your final paycheck. So keep things clean, keep everything in the business, and you're going to have higher profits. It'll be a bigger EBITDA and it'll be a bigger paycheck. So, Norm, I've got this $10,000 cell phone bill uh, that, because as Dennis said earlier, it's me, the kids, the grandkids, you know, there's, <laughs> there's 18 cell phones on the bill. So what you're really saying is uh, you don't have to stop doing that. Just take some more salary, pay for it on your own, right? Well, I, I, cell phone, 
to that extreme would be an ad back. So you, you would okay. get it. You would get that price regardless. But uh, maybe the boats, the airplanes, um, I actually had it. But pay yourself some more money and, and, and just yes. take the expense out of the business. There you go. Okay. Right. okay. It's cleaner. It's clean. Much cleaner. Much cleaner. Thank you very much. Dennis, you have the last word. Well, I'm going to reiterate something that Norm has said the, for as long as I've known him. And Carm, I've heard you repeat it as well. Um, take more time to work on your business rather than in your business. We are in a, an era of tumultuous change. Um, change in technicians, change in technician talent, availability. Um, it's a consolidation market. Interest is, is, uh, is cheap for cash. All of these things are, are creating a market. And you need to take as an owner a step back and just evaluate where you are in your own plan or start laying out the ideas of, do I want to sell to a bigger player? Do I want to sell to my family? How many more years do I have left in the gas tank? At least think about it and start to formulate a plan. Don't just unlock the door every day and get behind the counter and write up orders. Wow, you've just described a vast majority of the people that, that own shops today. Wow. And, and so, you know, and I rarely do this. I always just say goodbye. Thanks for being here. But my, but you, you got me to think, um, what's the average age out there? I mean, w- w- there's, a, there's a huge, huge amount of owners and players that are ripe for selling. Would you have a number? Do you have an idea? I mean, you guys wouldn't have started this business had you not seen a huge upside. Well, we we have and we do. And I would tell you that um, almost all the people that we talk to, uh, every single one of them says, you know, I've been doing this for 20, 30, some as much as 40 years and I'm just burned out. It's time to do something else. And typically I, I would say if you're feeling burnt out, it, you're probably hurting the business because you're not as active and uh, you, you're probably not giving uh, all your people the attention they need. So consequently, the business is uh, not doing as well as it should. So before you reach that point, um, uh, you know, you, you have to get your head straight or I would say you, you really need to consider maybe selling the business, stepping away and let somebody else give it the energy it needs. So you don't want to lose what you currently have. It's a decent going business. And then my next question, if I was listening on the sidelines, is how? How do I really start? How do I pull myself away? How do I, you know, normalize my P&L? And, you know, maybe maybe what we should do is get back, you know, in maybe, you know, three months and talk about the how. The how to make it happen. I, I think we could help in doing that. Uh, we've had a consulting business for over 35 years and... Certainly, Dennis continues to uh, do that on a part-time basis. I I think we could certainly contribute to that concept. Perfect. Hey, thank you guys so much, Dennis McCarran, Norm Gaither, Joel Zaleski, Jeff Pullman. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time... 